Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. This morning, we're wrapping up a series that we've called Power Walking. And the reason we've called it that is because in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, Paul tells us how we are to walk through life as followers of Jesus Christ. But what I want you to understand this morning is the walk that we're on is not a leisurely stroll. The walk that we're on is a march into battle against an enemy that wants to destroy us. And if we don't understand that enemy and if we don't understand that battle, then we're going to be defeated in the war. You see, one of the greatest dangers I'm afraid that many Christ followers have today is their lack of knowledge on spiritual warfare and their lack of knowledge on the spirit life. The Bible says there is a battle, a war going on, and we are in the middle of that battle. And if we don't understand that battle, and we don't understand our enemy, then we're never going to have the victory we can have as followers of Jesus. You see, for many of us, I'm afraid that we've given our life to Jesus. We've been forgiven of our sins. The Spirit of God, the resurrected Christ, has come to live in our life But then as we begin begin to go through life, we're living defeated, discouraged, disappointed lives. We're not living the victorious life we can live and we ought to live, and we wonder why. Because our assumption was when we give our life to Jesus, then everything's going to be okay. The battle is going to be over. But what we need to understand is when you give your life to Jesus, the battle is just beginning. Before you give your life to Christ, you're not in a battle. Satan has you right where he wants you. But when you give your life to Christ, you become a participant in the battle. A battle that is an all-out war. A war that is behind all the pain and all the suffering that we have ever experienced in human history. A war that that causes us to act like savages toward one another and live self-centered, self-absorbed lives. A war that has resulted in broken homes, battered women and children, addictions, violent crimes, depression, disease, and a host of other evil, wicked things that life brings upon us. And yet, most of us are unaware of this war. We see the pain, we see the hurt, we see the misery that the war causes. But we aren't aware of how the war and where the war is actually being fought. Because the Bible tells us that this battle, this war, it isn't fought in the physical realm. It's fought in the spiritual realm. And if we don't understand that and we don't understand our enemy, then we are never going to have victory. And so if your Bibles are open, I want you to follow along as we begin reading in verse 10. Listen to what Paul says, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground. 
putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these Hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me, too. Ask God to give me the right word so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I'm in chains now. Still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Now there are two important truths that we learn in this passage that if we will properly understand will help us to be able to walk in victory. The first one is we must understand our enemy. General Douglas MacArthur, one of the great military minds of America, wrote an article entitled, Requisites for Military Success. And in that article, he shared four principles that are needed if you're going to have victory in battle. But he said the most important by far was that you have a knowledge of your enemy. If you want to have victory, you have to know your enemy. This is what he said. He said, the greater the knowledge of the enemy, the greater the potential of victory. And the fact is, every one of us who desires to live a godly life for Jesus Christ has an enemy. And the Bible says that enemy is the devil and his well-organized army. Verse 11 tells us to put on God's armor so that we will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. Verse 12 says, our fight isn't against flesh and blood, people. Our fight is against rulers and authorities, powers and evil spirits of the unseen world, of the spirit world. You see, too often we forget we're not fighting against flesh and blood. Our fight isn't against people. It's against a supernatural being with supernatural power who has a supernatural army at his control. Now today, in the modern world, there are many people that don't believe in Satan. They don't believe in the devil. They believe he's a fairy tale. He's a fantasy. He's something made up from our past. But the Bible says that the devil is a real being. The Bible speaks of him 175 plus times. He uses a variety of names to describe him. It uses the, the word devil, Satan, God of this world, the prince of darkness, Lucifer, Beelzebub, the serpent of old, the thief, the dragon, a roaring lion. But here's the thing. Regardless of what name he is described by, he has one aim, and that is to destroy your life. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief, Satan, the devil, has come to kill steal and destroy listen very carefully satan's aim is to destroy your life satan's aim is to rob you of what god wants for you satan's aim is to let you but die eternally the second death that's what satan wants for you satan hates you and he's going to do everything he can to destroy you 
Now, the Bible tells us that, that Satan, the devil, was originally an angel of light. It tells us that he was the most powerful of all of the created beings. He was perfect in every way. But Satan was not content worshiping God, the creator. Satan wanted to be worshiped. So he rebelled against God. And the scriptures tell us in the book of Revelation that one-third of the angels rebelled with him and they were cast out of heaven. And when we read in Ephesians about these rulers and these powers and these principalities, this is what we're reading about. We're reading about these fallen angels who are now trying to wreak havoc upon mankind, upon human beings. We read about them in the Bible. When Jesus confronted the demon-possessed man at Decapolis, Jesus said, what's your name? And the demon said, our name is Legion because we are many. Legion was a term that was used to describe 6,000 soldiers in the Roman army. And so this man was possessed, was filled with thousands of demons. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel was praying to God. And an angel comes and gives Daniel the answer that he's seeking. But the angel says to Daniel, I would have been here 21 days sooner. But the prince of Persia was battling against me. And it was not until Michael, the chief princes, the chief angel, came to my defense that I was able to come. There was this battle that was raging in the unseen realm. Do you remember Mary Magdalene in Scripture? The Bible says that Jesus cast seven demons out of her. You see, these demons have authority over people, over cities, over nations, and over areas of culture today. And this is what we know for certain. Satan has a highly organized army that has infiltrated every area of life, and he is seeking to destroy you, and he is seeking to destroy me. You see, our battle isn't against flesh and blood. The real battle is fought in the spiritual realm, the invisible realm. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that we're not to take stands on issues? No, that's not what that means. We have a right and a privilege as Americans to get involved in our political process, and we should. We have a God-given right to speak truth, and to speak up for morality wherever we can. That is not just a right, but a privilege. The Bible isn't saying that we shouldn't take a stand. The Bible isn't saying that we shouldn't be involved. What it is simply saying is the battle is won in the unseen realm. Listen very carefully. This is what you need to understand. It doesn't matter in the end who is elected to sit in the White House in the Senate, in the House. It doesn't matter who is elected to sit in the governor's mansion. Those things really are irrelevant in the end. Because even if you get someone in there that changes policies, that change the way we live, unless the battle is won in the unseen realm, nothing is going to change. Did you hear me? Just because you get a person into office doesn't guarantee change. The change takes place in the unseen realm. Tony Evans describes spiritual warfare this way. 
He says spiritual warfare is the conflict in the invisible realm that affects the visible realm. Did you hear that? It's a battle that takes place in the invisible world that affects the visible world. It is the battle in the unseen that is responsible for the battles that are seen. Now notice what he says in verse 11. Paul tells us about the devil's strategies. The Greek word there is the Greek word methodius, the word we get our word, English word methods from. But understand this is much more than, than just methods or strategies here. The Greek word literally means tricks or schemes. And, and what that means is Satan can't be trusted. Satan doesn't fight fair. Satan is going to use every trick and every deception in his arsenal to deceive you and lead to your destruction. And he will do anything and everything he can to do that. And so here's what the Bible says. Our enemy is Satan. And he is in control of an unseen army of demonic angels whose desire is to destroy your life, to destroy my life, to destroy all of humanity. So that's our enemy. But the good news is, God has given us armor that will guarantee our victory. Let me say that again. God has given us armor that can guarantee our victory. God has given it. It's his. So you need to understand victory is not based upon our strength. Victory is based on his strength. Listen to how Paul begins this section. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He doesn't say be strong in your power. He says be strong in God's power. Understand it's God's power that gives us victory. He tells us to put on all of God's armor, the armor of God. You see, we don't fight our enemy in our power with our armor. We fight with his power, with his armor. My victory, your victory, is not based upon your power, your ability. It's based upon God's power and God's ability. I want you to listen. You will never be able to overcome the enemy with willpower. Did you hear me? You will never overcome the enemy by trying harder and working harder or willpower. You are going to overcome the enemy through surrender. Through surrendering everything to God and allowing his power to work through you. You see, it is his power working in you and through you and for you that gives you the victory. Now, Paul tells us twice here to put on all the armor of God. I think he tells us this twice so that we won't miss it. In other words, what he's saying is you can't miss a part of this. Because if you do, then Satan is going to have an opening into your life. Some of us may find ourselves very strong, very protected in one area of our life. But we're susceptible in another area of our life because we don't have on the full armor. And then Paul says we're to put it on. In the Greek, that's in the aorist imperative, which means put it on and keep it on. 
You see, the armor of God is not something that we put on and we take off and we put on and we take off. No, we put the armor of God on when we become a believer and we keep it on. We never take it off. Now, I think, I think it's a good thing, perhaps even every day, to remind ourselves of the armor so that we'll be prepared and ready for battle. But understand if you're having to put on the armor every day, something's wrong. This armor should stay on all the time. So what is the armor? Paul begins saying we need to put on the belt of truth. Now, for a Roman soldier, the belt was a, a wide leather belt that went around the waist. And then there was another strip that went around the shoulder. And this belt held everything together. This belt is what gave stability to the Roman soldier. And what Paul is saying here is that it is truth that holds everything together. If the belt holds everything in place for a soldier, then it is truth that holds everything in place for a follower of Jesus. Now, there are some people today that tell us that truth is relative. There's no such thing as absolute truth, that, that truth changes from generation to generation, from, from culture to culture, but that's a lie. If truth is truth, then it is absolute truth. Truth never changes. Truth doesn't change regardless of how you feel or what you think. Truth doesn't change even if the facts seem to indicate something else. If it is truth, it is truth. And so the question is, how do we determine truth? Listen very carefully. Kind of come in here. Listen carefully. You don't. You don't determine truth. Truth determines truth. If you determine truth, then truth would be different for you than it is for me. Truth determines truth. So the question we must ask is, what is truth? And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says God is truth. God is the originator of everything. God is the ultimate source. God is the one from whom everything came. Without God, there is nothing. So if God is the ultimate originator, the ultimate source, then God is the source for truth. You don't determine truth. I don't determine truth. Washington doesn't determine truth. The university doesn't determine truth. God determines truth. And this is what the Bible says. God is truth. Jesus said in John 17 when he was praying to his father, sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. In other words, everything that you say, God, is truth. Everything that comes out of your mouth is truth. You are the ultimate standard. You are the ultimate measuring rod for what is truth. So listen very carefully. I want you to hear me. I don't care what the Supreme Court says. God determines truth. And abortion isn't a choice. Abortion is murder. I don't care what the Supreme Court says when it talks about marriage and what marriage is. God defines marriage. And God says that a man will leave a woman and cleave to her, cleave to her and the two will be one. God determines marriage. God determines truth. In every area of life, 
It's not the schools. It's not the universities. It's not the courthouse. It's not Hollywood. It's not Madison Avenue. It's God that determines truth. And so understand, when you're trying to decide, how do I handle this abortion issue? How do I handle this gay marriage issue? How do I handle this transsexual issue? How do I handle pornography? How do I handle all of these things? I don't care what some psychologist, some sociologist, or some person with 24 degrees may tell you. God is the one who determines truth. Amen? Amen. And so understand, we buckle ourselves with truth that stabilizes everything. It holds everything together. You mess up on what is true, and your whole world is going to collapse. By the way, listen, this isn't political. Our nation, we're in deep trouble. And the reason we're in deep trouble, and this isn't political, because we've messed up on both sides of the aisle. The reason we're in deep trouble is because we have abandoned the truth. We may not have been founded as a Christian nation, but we were founded on Christian principles, Christian values, the Word of God. Not everyone that was a founding father was a Bible-believing Christian. But everyone that was a part of our founding fathers knew that the Bible, God's word, was the source of truth. And we better get back to the truth, holding everything in place. Because if we don't, our world's going to fall apart. So every day when you get up, you remind yourself, truth isn't up to me. Truth is up to God. Then he says we're to put on the body armor, the breastplate of righteousness on this armor. Covered a Roman soldier from his neck to his waist, from the front and the back. It protected all of their vital organs. And, and, and what Paul is saying here is that God's righteousness is what protects us. But what is righteousness? Well, righteousness involves two things. First of all, it involves being right with God. And then it involves living right before God. Did you hear that? There is positional righteousness. I'm right with God positionally. And there's practical righteousness. I am living right before God. And both of those things are equally important to us as followers of Jesus. When it comes to positional righteousness, your righteousness on your own will never be good enough to save you. The prophet Isaiah said, our righteousness is like filthy rags. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus died. He died so that his righteousness could be bestowed into our account. Uh, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I love this translation. It says, for God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins. Oh, listen. When Jesus was on that cross, all of your sins were poured into Jesus. He took the sin of the world. He took all of your sin upon himself. But then he did something else. It says, then in exchange, 
He poured God's righteousness into us. Positionally, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we're made right with God. But listen, hear me. If you've been made right with God, you long to live a life that is pleasing to God. Look me in the eye. Look me in the eye. If you say you're a follower of Jesus, if you say that you've been born again, and in your heart of hearts, you don't long to live a life that is pleasing to him, you're not saved. You could have been baptized a hundred times, and all you've become is waterlogged. You're not saved. When you're saved, the Spirit of God makes you brand new. He gives you the desire to live a life that is pleasing for him. So do you have that desire? That's practical righteousness, holiness, purity. And and we get that by living the Spirit-filled life. We surrender our life to His will, understanding it's not by might nor by power, but by His Spirit, says the Lord. And so we're saved by His Spirit. Positionally, we become righteous by His Spirit. Practically, the body armor of Christ. Then we put on the shoes of peace that come from the good news so that we will be fully prepared. We put on the shoes of peace that come from the good news. Now here's an interesting thing. The Roman soldier's shoes had nails in the bottom of them. The reason they had nails in the bottom of it is kind of like a, a major league baseball player. I say major league, but any, any you know, of the baseball players that have the metal cleats the bottom of their shoes, they had nails in the bottom of their shoes so that when they were in battle and the army was pressing, the enemy was pressing against them, they would put their feet in the ground and they would be able to stand firm against the enemy's attacks. The enemy would not be able to push them back. The enemy would not be able to push them onto the ground. They could lean forward and they could stand firm. You see, the Bible says that it is the Gospel that gives peace to our lives. Can I tell you firsthand? That's true. It's true. Most of y'all know that you know, several years ago, our, our middle son you know, died in his sleep. God gave us peace in the midst of that storm. I got to tell you, I don't know how anybody handles the storms of life without the gospel that brings peace. The gospel brings peace to your life. We sang about that. David and the praise team sang about that a little bit earlier. When our whole world is shaking around us, when the storms are raging all around us, when everything that can go wrong is going wrong, it is the gospel that brings peace to our life. And, and Paul says we need to be prepared to share that. Peter said the same thing. Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. So that means that we've got to be prepared when the, when the cynic, when the skeptic, when the person wants to debate us about our Christian life and what we believe. We need to be firm in the gospel to the point that we can tell them about the hope that we have in Jesus. So we're firmly planted because of the gospel. You know what? I've got opinions. I bet that surprises you, right? 
I, I've got opinions about this election that's coming up. But in the end, it doesn't matter what happens. I'm not worried. God's got this. God's got me. And I've got peace. I talk to people all the time that are worried about this and they're anxious about this. And I'm thinking, have you not read those passages that talk about the peace that the gospel brings? That God gives a peace that passes understanding? And hear me, I understand that anxiety happens and it comes and goes. And I've experienced that like most of us have. But I'm here to tell you, you may not be able to keep anxiety from coming into your mind. But you can keep it from planting a root in your mind, can't you? Amen? And that's what the gospel does. And then he tells us to take up the shield of faith. And the cool thing about this shield of faith is it was this huge shield that was treated with this leather-like material that when the enemy would launch these flaming arrows and the arrows would stick into the shield because of the chemicals that the leather had been treated with, it would put out the flaming arrows. And Paul said, the shield of faith is like that. This isn't saving faith. This is, this is mountain-moving faith. This is the kind of mountain faith that we live, live by. This is the kind of faith that they sing about, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faith that said, we will not bow down before your golden idol even if we are thrown into the fiery furnace. It's that kind of faith. I love Tony Evans' definition of faith. He said, faith is acting as if something is so, even when it appears not to be so, in order that it might be shown to be so, simply because God said so. I like that. It's a good definition. George Mueller said, faith does not operate in the realm of the, of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. I mean, why do we need faith if we can do it? Here's my definition. Faith is confident obedience and trust in God and his word in spite of circumstances and consequences. Did you hear that? It's a confidence, assurance, and trust and obedience to God and his word in spite of the circumstances or the consequences. I'm going to stay firm in my faith. Faith is trust and obedience. Trust and obey for there's no other way. To be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. And then he tells us to put on the helmet of salvation. And I want to just deal with this quickly. The, the Roman helmet was a very strong, sturdy helmet that was able to withstand almost anything hitting it other than a heavy axe or heavy sword. And so it was the, the helmet that protected the brain. And um, that's a big thing, an important thing to protect in, in battle. And so why does he tell us the helmet of salvation, which is protecting what we would say is our mind, the way we think? Here, here's what I believe. The primary way that Satan, I think, attacks believers today more than any other. He attacks us with temptations and trials and everything, but I think that Satan attacks us with doubts. He gets us to doubt whether we're saved whether he loves us, whether he's real, whether God's real. He gets us to doubt whether God cares. He gets us to doubt whether we're good enough, whether we're worthy, all of these things. And it's when we understand salvation that our doubts are put to rest. Because we understand that our salvation, if we're saved, 
is something that was done in the past. Our sins have been forgiven. We have already been saved. We're not going to be saved. We have been saved. But there is also this present aspect of salvation where we are being saved from the power of sin in our life. We're becoming more Christ-like. And then there's this future aspect of salvation where we will be saved. And the temptations and the struggles we face here and now are going to be gone. And man, it is going to be heaven. I guess that's why they call it heaven, right? And it's going to be wonderful because we're going to be in his presence. So the helmet of salvation And then we put on the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, here's the thing about this sword. When most of us visualize a sword, we think about one of these swords that we've seen in the sword fights. That's not the word that is used here. The word that is used here is the word for a dagger. It was about 18 inches long. So this sword was not used fighting at a distance. This sword was used in hand-to-hand combat when you were up close and personal with the enemy. Kind of like Jesus was when he was in the wilderness. And Satan came over and over and tempted him. And what did Jesus use? He used the word of God. As he was battling Satan face to face, up close and personal, he used the word of God. Now there's three different Greek words used in the New Testament for word. One means the written word. It's graphe. It's not the word that is used here. That's our Bible that's written. The other word is logos, which is the revelation or revealed word. That's not the word that is used here. The word that is used here is the word rima, which literally can be translated applied word. And so I want you to listen very carefully to what this is saying. It's saying that, you see, it's not a Bible sitting on a shelf that's going to give you victory over the enemy. It's not your belief that the Bible is the Word of God that's going to give you victory. It's your application of God's Word in your life that's going to give you victory. That's why it is so important, child of God, to daily, systematically pour yourself into the Word of God Because if you don't, how are you going to know what God wants you to do in any and every situation? There are, I would dare say, listen, most of you in this room have probably never read through the Bible. If you've never read through the Bible, you don't know what it says. How do you know that you're not missing something that God wants you to know? Sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then finally, he says, pray in the Spirit at all times. And we're going over just a little bit, but we're about through. Now, understand the reason that he concludes with prayer here. And he talks about prayer for several verses. Is because the battle is fought in the spiritual realm. And see, prayer is where we fight the battle. We're ready for the enemy By putting on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, we're putting on our feet the gospel that brings peace. We're taking up the shield of faith. We're taking up the sword of the Spirit. But in the end, it is prayer where the battle is fought. You see, prayer isn't getting prepared for the battle. Prayer is the battle. And and here's the problem. 
most of us who love Jesus, if there's something that we're going to set on the side burner because we don't have time, it's prayer. Make it to worship, make it to life group, and you better read our Bible. We're going to try to do good deeds. Man, prayer. I mean, especially when you're talking about more than just a, now to lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. You know, you're praying prayers. You're interceding on people's behalf. You're tearing down strongholds in people's lives. I mean, that, that takes time. It takes energy. So we have a tendency to kind of set prayer aside. When in reality, prayer is where the battle is fought. Prayer is where the battle is won. So here's what I want you to know. There's an enemy out there that has an army that is going to do everything he can to destroy you if you're a child of God. If you're not a believer, he already has you. And you may think, no, he doesn't. Yeah, he does. You're so deceived, you don't even know. And if that offends you, I'm sorry. But you need to quit with all of this pride and this arrogance and humble yourself before your creator. Ask Jesus to forgive you and save you and give your life to him and enter into the battle. But if you're a Christian, you're in the battle. and Satan wants to destroy you. The only hope you have is to have the armor of God on each and every moment of each and every day. And as you're wearing that armor, you are spending time in prayer. You wonder why some things haven't changed that you want to be changed? It's because you're not praying. And don't, don't hear me wrong. We sometimes pray for years and years and Years and never see the answers we ask for. I understand that. But I'm here to tell you that a lot of us aren't seeing answers simply because we're not praying. And we need to start praying. So what about it? Will you get in the battle fully armed? Will you commit to pray? From October the 1st to October the 31st, I challenge you. Take that prayer guide and begin a daily prayer time. Praying for your family. Praying for lost people that you know. Pray for our church. Pray for our nation. Pray through that prayer guide. Begin to intercede and ask God to move. And let's see, let's see what God does. By your head, let's pray. Father God Almighty, you're good. You're God. You have given us your word to prepare us for the battle we're in. Help us to be wise enough to, Lord, put on the armor and use it, not as we fight defensively. Father God, help us to put on the armor and use it as we storm the gates of hell to set the captives free. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.